everybody, and welcome to another episode of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. Got our usual two co-hosts here. I'm Jeff. Joining me from uh, Seattle, Tacoma, greater regional area is Mark A. Johnson. Mark, Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Jeff. I'm ready for uh, uh, hopefully a 2022 filled with a lot of great baseball. 2022 Seattle Mariners, Major League Baseball, World Series champions. I, uh, it, it, I'm dreaming and hoping and praying and all the above. <laughs> well, good luck with that if we, if we have baseball. I was just talking baseball yeah. for work earlier today and trying to come up with a schedule, and it's all up in the air. Yeah, scheduling something at this point might be a little rough. Just hoping that we get opening day. Opening day is in March this year on a Thursday. Just hoping that baseball gets off on time. Hopefully yes. spring training starts on time, opening day is on time, all that good stuff. Quite a uh, quite a break we had. We had some had some fun during the break. Uh, if you don't know, we did a, a watch rewatch along, I guess we could call it on uh, on Twitch. It's up on YouTube as well. If you want to look in the show notes, you can find out how to watch that. We had uh, a good handful of our listeners join us as well, which was really fun uh, as we watched what did we watch? Now it can be heard. That's what we watched. But it's <laughs> we're back. We've got a great show today. We're gonna gonna dive back into 1991 and uh, a special day in 1991. A special day for both Mark and I. Even that's so, right. A good day. We'll revisit that here in a little bit. But first, Mark, let's get into our usual batting practice segment. And to do that, it's something that's been all over social media and kind of a, a downer way to end 2000, 2000, kind of a downer way to end 2021 is uh, the passing of the legend, Betty White. Um, I, I, I told Mark before we came on, I had been humming the uh, This Week in Baseball theme for the past couple of weeks but now i cannot stop singing this theme song so i'm gonna put it in everybody else's ears as well and i thought he was just uh, thanking me for being a good friend but it had to do with betty white yeah we're not friends by the way just... <laughs> <laughs> that's a terrible uh, thing to say man <laughs> so uh there's been a lot of uh, of betty white social media posts going on a lot of baseball related betty white social media post because she lived so long. She was born in 1922. Actually, she was born on January 17th, 1922. So before the, the baseball season started that year, a lot of things have been going around social media with some baseball tie-ins. So I wanted to go over those. And I also came up with some other ones that I thought was interesting uh, regarding Betty White. So Born in 1922, Babe Ruth at this time was preparing for his third season with the Yankees, and he had only hit 162 home runs during his career when Betty White was born. Wow. So that means he hit 552 more home runs once Betty White graced the world with her presence. She is an inspiring lady, you know. I wonder if she saw any of those home <laughs> runs. That's a great question. I know. I, I, know. I, I've seen some pictures of her at baseball stadiums with baseball players. I wonder if she ever actually saw Babe Ruth play. You know, I'd almost, it almost sounds like a joke. You know, when you say somebody, you know, how old are you? Well, I, I saw Babe Ruth play, you know, but yeah. uh, legitimately. Uh, you know who was the starting first baseman on that 1922 New York Yankees squad? 
22. Was it uh, Wally Pip? It was. Very nice. <laughs> Wally Pip. No Lou Gehrig. Not yet. Or as the as the article I, I read described Wally Pip is just taking a day off. He just <laughs> phoned it in. Yes, or he had a headache. Yeah. <laughs> that, he fractured his skull, but, you know, we'll just say he had a headache. That is an awful baseball myth. That, that is. It's just like uh, like Fred Merkel. I mean, sure. I mean, that was a big mistake he made, but he went on to have a pretty decent career. Sure. That's all you remember him for. So uh, a couple of other things I uh, I came up with is poking around on the Internet. You know, if Babe Ruth would have lived as long as Betty White would have, he would have died in 1994. Oh, wow. So he would have been around kind of when steroids were starting. I wonder what his take on that would have been. I would like to have known that. His idea of steroids was an extra hot dog. During the third inning. Right. Yeah. Uh, the last Major League Baseball game played before Betty White was born was game eight of the 1921 World Series. <laughs> the, the New York Giants beat Babe Ruth's Yankees in a best of nine series. Oh, man. But game eight was the last one played before she was born. The Yankees, get this, had not won a World Series when she was born. Oh, wow. And so they won all whatever it is that they like to talk about. What is it, 27? Their, their first World Series, they won in 1923 the next year. So what this could mean is that the Yankees will never win another World Series. It's Yeah, it, it's like the uh, curse of, of Colonel Sanders. It's the curse of Betty White. If, if she's not around, <laughs> the Yankees do not win World Series. We're hoping. You can't prove it false at this point. No, that's true. She's been, she had been around for every single Yankee World Series title. MLB ha had not yet become exempt from the Sherman Antitrust Act at this point. Oh, wow. So, it, I mean, that's a big deal, especially right now, because yeah. everybody talks about taking that away from Major League Baseball. But the Baltimore Terrapins of the Federal League brought their grievance against the American and the National Leagues on May 29th, 1922. The judge presiding over the case, Kennesaw Mountain Landis. Well, there you go. I'm surprised it didn't go better for the Baltimore Terrapins when you've got uh, Kennesaw Landis presiding over their case. And I, I read a, an article about that, and he said, first of all, Kennesaw Landis was a huge Cubs fan. Oh, okay. And he was not going to let anything interfere with his favorite team. So even he, he's like the Chicago Whales. You've got a great park there. Let's go ahead and let you not be able to keep going. And then my Cubs are going to move into to what is now Wrigley Park. But I thought that was in, interesting who the judge was. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. What, what, what kind of odds is that? Well, maybe it wasn't just odds. Yeah, I think I think it came out the way it did for a reason. Uh, some other things. Burley Grimes, the last player that was grandfathered in to be able to use the spitball, he played for another 12 seasons after Betty White was born. <laughs> um, wow. Also born in 1922, Hall of Famers Ralph Kiner, George Kell, and Hoyt Wilhelm. They're all some good ones. Yeah, they're all, they are all gone, obviously. Not obviously, but they're all gone. Uh, Jimmy Austin was the oldest player to take the field in 1922. He was 42 years old, and he would go on to play four more seasons. He was born in 1879. 
Wow. So Betty White is a small child could have seen a player playing baseball that was born in 1879. That's crazy. It's, it is crazy just because remember, we did that thing with the Moyers a couple of episodes ago where there's That's only right. been two. One died on the same day Jamie was born and essentially Moyers have stretched almost the entirety of baseball history. Yes. Sort of like Highlander. Yeah, exactly like Highlander. And then my final Betty White thing here. Just last September, a autographed baseball signed by Betty White sold for $699. Hey, a bargain now. I'll bet it's gone up. Yeah, I bet you could get it. You could probably get double that now. That's pretty cool, though. How cool would it be to have Betty White on a baseball? Yeah, it uh, it was interesting to find that there were those floating around. All right. One more thing I wanted to mention in uh, BP here. Another one, kind of a downer here. Jim Corsi, mm-hmm. who I, as an A's fan, I remember Jim Corsi. He had three different stints with the A's. He came up with them in 88. He was always a guy that I knew coming out of that bullpen, I had a, a lot of confidence in. He was yes. he was a, a very good reliever. Ten years uh, in the big leagues, five of which were with Oakland. The rest of his career, three in Boston, and then one spread out over a couple of different teams. He just came out and announced that he is in the terminal stages of cancer. Which oh, that's is, terrible. Yeah, that's uh, really, uh, really kind of a, a downer. Another downer to start the new year. But uh, Jim Corsi, if you uh, if you want to send some positive vibes his way. Oh, sure. I, I knew Jim a little bit, and uh, just a friendly, gregarious guy, and th- one of those guys that everybody likes. You know, and you kind of picture him that way. And that's the way he was. Yeah, I'm looking at this. He spent a lot of time back and forth between Oakland and Tacoma in, the, yes. you know, coming up in the 80s. Then back in the mid 90s when he was back in Oakland, I'm assuming some injury rehab there as well. So, yeah, that's right in your time of, of being there. So uh, best wishes for Jim Corsi. All right, let's uh, get into our trivia question. Now, I am going to admit right off the bat here, Mark, that we got quite a few answers that were correct. I figured we would for the question from two weeks ago, and I have not come prepared to this podcast to list all of those uh, names that we usually have. Mm. Um, I'm going to assume that I could probably rattle off some of the uh, some of our regulars, and they will... We'll cover it, but I, I'm just going to go ahead and apologize to everybody. I did not write that down uh, on my script here, so I apologize. The question that I asked, Mark, was that in 1995, a 20-year-old pitcher for the Oryx Blue Wave, Masafumi Hirai, ended up with a record of 15-5. and five. That is great, especially for a 20-year-old pitcher. Thing was, he was their closer who also had 27 saves. Right. So my question was, who holds the major league record for most wins in a single season without a single game started? Do you have any idea? Uh, no, I have no idea. I, I, uh, I'll be honest with you. I haven't given him a lot of thought over the holidays. Wow. My apology. Come on, Mark. You're supposed to, we're always supposed to be in your thoughts. I apologize. You're right, of course. The answer is Roy Face. Hmm. That is Roy Face. That is not Face from the A-team. This is Roy Face. 16-year career in the big leagues, 15 of it with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Looking at this, he ended up with a 104 and a 95 record. Let's see. He started 27 games in his career. 
But in 1959, when he went 18 and one, <laughs> he appeared in 57 games, every single one of them out of the bullpen. Wow. 18 and one. <laughs> he won 18 games out of the bullpen. That's yeah. incredible. He also had 10 saves. He led the league in saves for a couple of years, not this year. Uh, he got MVP votes. He was uh, a, he was a voted onto both All Star teams. Remember, this is when they played two All Star games. He made them both, but he ended up with a two point seven zero ERA that year. Ninety three innings, struck out sixty nine, walked twenty five, ERA plus of one forty two. That's incredible. Uh, so it it led me down a rabbit hole of finding. I wanted to see. Who was second? Who, you know, what does anybody come close that often? And B Roy Face has 18 wins. He holds the record. Bill Campbell and John Hiller both have 17 wins <laughs> with zero wow. games started. And that's from 1976 and 1974. Wow. That's that's too crazy. Yeah. And then he, Tom Johnson had 16 in 1977. I guess it's not that big a deal. Dale Murray had 15 for the Expos in 1975. Wow. So uh, I was looking at the most recent time that somebody got close was in 1986. Both Mark Eichhorn and Roger McDowell both had 14 wins with no starts. I had no, I don't remember that at all. That's I don't crazy. either, but... <laughs> There you go. I mean, that wasn't too far. It wasn't too long ago. That was, that was actually quite a long time ago. But that's right when we were living and breathing baseball, you know, as, as youths every day. So it, it doesn't seem like it was that long ago. Right. I wouldn't have thought that. All right. So I got a new question for you, Mark. One that I expect you to pay attention to and do some thinking about. Okay. I'm not sure how if this is going to be easy or hard. What do Roger Mason, Jeff Austin, and Phil Dumitrate all have in common? Uh, well, that's the question? That's the question. Beyond the fact that you might not be familiar with any of these three players. <laughs> Rugged good looks, I was going to say. I'm not even going to tell you what positions they played. I'm just going to let everybody go start searching baseball reference and, and doing your Google searches and all that. See who can come up with the right <laughs> the right answer to what those three players have in common. Yeah, I, I have a cousin who uh, actually injured his Dumitrait. So I feel bad in bringing it up. <laughs> he, had, uh, he had his Dumitrait filled, if you know what I mean. P-H-I-L. Okay, stop. <laughs> All right, so if you can figure out what those three gentlemen have in common, please let us know. You can uh, send us email. You can get a hold of us on social media. All that stuff will tell you how to do that all at the end of the show. All right, Mark, it is time now to get into our main story for today. This is something that I'm, in, I'm interested to hear um, what you have to say about this. We want to talk about May 1st, 1991. That date might not jump out to anybody. I mean, it's May Day, isn't it? So if you're in Seattle, mm -hmm. there'll be riots, no doubt. So, Mark, we're not young men anymore. <laughs> it depends on your definition. Well, we're not. I'm not ready to let go yet. I mean, we're we're not Betty White's age, but we're we are not young men anymore. I started being a diehard baseball fan when I was in junior high, and I've been obsessed now with baseball for 35 plus years. I've watched, listened, and attended to more games that is probably healthy, but I apologize for nothing. 
I love it. <laughs> in those 35 plus years of being a baseball fan, there are a handful of days that I remember like they just happened. Game six of the 1986 World Series. Remember sitting at home. I remember watching it. I remember everything about it. Yep. Game one of the 1988 World Series. Yep. Uh, games three and four of the 89 World Series. Game three, Earthquake. And, mm-hmm. uh, well, they didn't actually play it. but And then game four, of course, because the A's won the World Series that year. Uh, Dave Stewart and Fernando Valenzuela both throwing no-hitters back-to-back on ESPN National Games, June 29th, 1990. The 1999 All-Star Game in Boston, one of the two times baseball has made me cry. When Ted Williams was carted out to the mound with with Tony Gwynn right there and everybody else around him. But it was just it was really Tony Gwynn and, and, and Ted Williams. That was a very special moment for me. And then, you know, Mark McGuire beating Sammy Sosa to the single season home run mark. I remember that. I remember a lot of days from that. But I remember when McGuire actually set the mark. The Red Sox and the Cubs both finally winning World Series. Remember those as well. I'm sure our listeners have days like that that they just vividly remember from their baseball fandom that always will stand out to them. All great baseball memories, and I'm sure there are, those listeners are yelling at their phones right now because I'm forgetting something that is important to them that they remember so much. But I want to talk about a day that might be considered one of the greatest days in baseball history, a day in which two of the greatest players, not just of their day, but baseball history, period, further cemented themselves into the history books. I'm not really sure if there is a single day in baseball history where two separate games furthered marks that, especially in today's game, might never be equaled. And it just so happens that those two players happen to be our favorite players of all time in Ricky Henderson and Nolan Ryan. That's right. And uh, as crazy as it seems, we didn't even know that when we met. No. We absolutely <laughs> didn't. <laughs> so May 1st, 1991, the season is just a month old. The A's and the Bucks have the best marks in baseball, both at 14 and 7. It was a Wednesday night with a full slate of games. The A's were wrapping up a short two-game series with the Yankees at the Coliseum. The previous night's game between the Yankees and the A's had been nationally broadcast, as was this a rare day game that ESPN was broadcasting at this point, because Ricky Henderson had tied Lou Brock's career mark of 938 stolen bases the Sunday before, and the next one would set the all-time record. Lou Brock had been attending every A's game, the gracious man that he was, to be there when his record fell and to congratulate Ricky. He'd been traveling with him on the road. He'd been home. He'd been with him for like two weeks. He's like, let's get this over with. When you're one stolen base away from making history, everybody knows what you're going to do when you get on base. The game before Ricky reached base once, but he didn't run. During this day game, though, he was determined to get it over with. He likewise had had enough of this. So Ricky leads off the bottom of the first with a walk. And, you know, before Barry Bonds finally intentionally walked past him, Ricky was the all-time leader in walks for a while. But he was promptly gunned down by Yankees catcher Matt Noakes, who did not want to go down in history books as a guy that Ricky did this against. I could see that. I mean, I could see like studying as a catcher, even extra being like, I can't let it happen to me. Well, Matt Noakes always seemed to me is one of those really hard nosed, like kind of Carlton Fisk-esque, as in, 
<laughs> like he just didn't want to take anything from anybody. I mean, yeah. He was the guy, wasn't he, that got uh, hit by a pitch by Roger Clemens and it like kind of caught it between his arm and his body and he, <laughs> and he chucked, chucked it back it. <laughs> at Clemens. I remember that. Yeah. I mean, he's a hard nosed catcher. So yeah. Noakes in 1991 threw out 27% of base runners that season, which was below the league average of 34%. So Ricky thought this, you know, Noakes is right for the picking, but not that first time. Next time up, Tim Leary strikes out Ricky in the second inning to end the inning with the bases loaded. Bottom of the fourth inning, Ricky leads off with a hot shot through the legs of Yankee shortstop Alvaro Espinosa. Ricky then ends up on second base after Dave Henderson grounds a ball to deep third down the line and beats it out for an infield single. Canseco flew out, and after a couple of pickoff moves later, Ricky decided it's finally time to go. The A's having come from behind a three, a one nothing deficit. Ricky goes, a pitch taken, he's going to have it. He does. Ricky Henderson, no contest, steals third base, jerks the bag from its moorings, and holds it aloft, representing number 939. I love to hear that. And that's Bill King on the call. A's uh, play-by-play, long-time play-by-play announcer, Hall of Famer. He passed away, I think it was probably about 10 years ago now. But man, I love hearing Bill King call A's games. That's that's what mm-hmm. I grew up with. So that's fun to hear. Ricky's speech immediately after stealing third base has been the target of a lot of hate. Didn't come out right, did it? <laughs> uh, no, I mean, it could have come out better. But yes, I'm, I, I have defended it from the from day <laughs> one, and I will continue to defend it. At the time, it didn't go over well. Obviously, uh, a lot of people thought it was disrespectful to Lou Brock, and and even Lou Brock though said he never took it that way, and he was so happy for Ricky, and you know they had become good friends. The hate was mainly centered around the portion of the uh, speech right here. Lou Brock was the symbol of great base stealing. But today, I'm the greatest of all time. Thank you. I, like I said, I've stuck up for him before, and I will continue to do so. Ricky idolized Muhammad Ali growing up, and this was kind of his take on Ali's I am the greatest bit. Right. Was it the best time and place to do this? Probably not. But there was no malice intended, and like I said, Lou Brock didn't take it the wrong way he he knew what ricky was was trying to say and lou brock was just a a, a great gentleman yeah I, I think ricky was searching for the right words and and he i think he wanted to honor lou brock it just came out weird you know that's at the very end of his speech the beginning of his speech he's listing off people he's thanking billy martin he's thanking tom treblehorn he's thanking his mom his grandma his wife the fans i mean he's being very gracious and and thanking everybody that was just kind of his homage to one of his heroes and it just it just didn't come off exactly how he would have liked it but do you think mark that there was another player other than ricky that is many people hated when he was playing, but since retiring is almost like universally beloved. <laughs> I can't think of anyone. No, I, and I loved Ricky his whole career. So yeah, I mean, I'm not I, one of them. <laughs> yeah. There are obviously people like me and I know plenty of others that always, you know, huge Ricky marks, but there were a lot of people that just hated him. Oh yeah. He rubbed people the wrong way on occasion. And I don't think it was ever intentional. 
He's just Ricky. That's yeah. I mean, he did things his own way, talking in in first person. Uh, You know, he was called a hot dog. A lot of things, a lot worse than that. But since he is retired, I never hear anybody say anything except for a couple of, you know, Facebook groups, which is just a bunch of old boomers that, you know, want it to be 1920 still. <laughs> Everybody loves the guy. And yeah, how can you not? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure there are other players that were like that, but I just I can't think of any that were kind of more hated when he was playing but now everybody everybody really likes maybe some of our listeners can come up with some well matt noakes might have gone down as the catcher that ricky stole the record base off of but ricky tried it again later in the game and matt noakes gunned him down for a second time in the game so matt noakes ultimately I, i guess he didn't get the last laugh but he had a good laugh so there it is what would have been more than enough news from the baseball world for a single day a big career record broken in baseball. But little did we know that down in Arlington, Texas, later that night, Nolan Ryan would say, hey, Ricky, hold my beer. (laughs) Ryan entered the night having the career mark for most no-hitters with six. His last one, he had thrown under a year prior against the A's in Oakland, which that is still the last time the Oakland A's have been no-hit. It seems like you can't go like more than two months without the Mariners being no-hit, but... Regardless, poke, poke. I have no comment on that. (laughs) The 44-year-old Ryan was still throwing in the mid-90s and would go on to lead the American League again in strikeouts for the fourth straight year at age 44. The Blue Jays were in town, and they were a very good team. They would go on to win the East this year, and then, obviously, back-to-back World Series in 92 and 93. But Nolan Ryan had his pocket full of Advil, so it was a pretty even match. Rangers (laughs) pitching coach Tom House watched Nolan warm up in the bullpen that night, and he pulled manager Bobby Valentine aside before the game started, and he said, listen, Bobby, Ryan's got a bad back, he's got bad knees, and I watched him warm up, and he said, quote, we've got to get somebody up quick, because Nolan does not have it tonight, end quote. (laughs) Well, whatever House saw, Nolan missed it. After getting through the top of the first inning, Ryan came into the dugout and told everyone in the dugout, boys, get me one run. That's all I'm going to need today, (laughs) which is badass. (laughs) Yes, it is. So Ruben Sierra took care of the runs in the second inning with a two run blast off of Jimmy Key. Yep. Nolan then proceeded to mow down the rest of the Blue Jays. The only close calls coming in the sixth inning when Gary Pettis ran down a bloop off the bat of Manny Lee. And that was a great play by by Pettis. He ended up just a little bit behind second base when he caught that. I mean, it was it was nice running catch. Yeah, he's he's he arguably the best defensive outfielder I've ever seen. He was uh, very good this night as well. Then hard hitting Mark Witten lived up to his nickname in the seventh inning, smacking a line shot to right field, but it was tracked down there by Mr. Ruben Sierra. Set to pitch the eighth inning. Blue Jays with the inexperience of Mark Whitten and Glenn Allen Hill. And Blake Myers in behind him. Get down to the bottom part of the order. If you look at the prospects, 
On paper, at least, they're pretty favorable for Ryan to continue this. Really about the only bat that uh, Cito might send up there would be the veteran bat of Mookie Wilson. Witten races that in the right field, but Sierra is there. Twice. I mentioned Witten the last two times up has been right on the fastball of Nolan Ryan. Hill hasn't gotten around that at all. So there was another nice play. Not as nice as Pettis, but that was a that was a line shot by Witten to right field. Ruben had to come in and make a, a catch on that line drive. That was the fourth and final ball that made it out of the infield by the Jays the entire game. Wow. So Ryan entered the ninth inning with a pitch count of 106. Not bad. Uh, wow. I mean, especially in 1991, that's nothing. But uh, for a 44-year-old, that's very nice. Both Manny Lee and Devon White grounded out to a then 86-year-old Julio Franco at second base. <laughs> then the real second spitter, Roberto Alomar, came to the plate, and on his 122nd pitch of the night, Nolan Ryan blew a fastball past Alomar, completing no-hitter number seven and adding even more space between he and everybody else. Number seven. So I mentioned more space between he and everybody else. Second place is Sandy Koufax with four no-hitters. After that, Larry Cochran, whose career ended in 1887. (laughs) Justin Verlander, Bob Feller, and Cy Young all have three apiece. That is a uh, pretty difficult thing to do, throw a no-hitter. To throw two in your career is amazing. These guys at three, three, four, and then seven. Uh, are just ridiculously talented. Yeah, you have to add the second place with one of the third place guys just to tie Nolan Ryan. Right. Now, I just wanted to play this because I found this, and I have to assume that this is what was going on in the clubhouse after uh, after this game was completed. For me, it's a couple of Advil, and those muscle aches are long gone. And Advil's gentler on my stomach than aspirin. Today, it isn't aspirin or Tylenol. It's Advil. I feel ready to go another nine innings. Advil, tablets and caplets, advanced medicine for pain. <laughs> you know, I say that all the time. If somebody asks me if I'm ready, I'm ready to go another nine innings, all because of that commercial. <laughs> they probably have no idea what you're talking about. No, no one ever does. My wife asked me once and then said, ah, I shouldn't ask. Well, now we here on Two Strike Noise, we never pass up an opportunity to talk about either Noel Ryan or Ricky Henderson. But that day was so monumental to have both of them just do these monumentous feats that, uh, again, I am not sure if there is a day when two things this large happened on one day in Major League Baseball. Maybe it's one of those things, maybe our listeners can help us out if they remember a day where something happened like this, but in more than just one game, elsewhere around around baseball. I know most things, including baseball, are cyclical, And someday, probably when we are long gone, starting pitchers will be going nine innings again and base runners will be stealing bases. I'm guessing that'll probably be a thing at some point. And these records might fall. But for us fans of today's game, I think these are two of the most untouchable marks in all sports. I mean, breaking records is one thing. But the the thing about those guys is you can look at second place on either one and go, wow, that's not even close. That's quite dominant. Yeah, Yeah, I mean. 
they in terms of no hitters, nobody's even come close to Nolan Ryan. In terms of stolen bases, nobody's even sniffing Ricky Henderson. So there are huge records to huge Hall of Fame players that happen on the same day, and they just happen to be foreshadowing of two strike noise with the biggest fans <laughs> of each in the world having a chat about them. And we just didn't know about it at that point, but it was yeah, it was building. Right. Is all built right. to this. A couple of things. I, I'm looking at the score board from that day around baseball. Uh, let's see. The, the game that really sticks out to me is the Chicago White Sox and the Milwaukee Brewers played 19 innings before the Brewers finally took it 10 to 9 with our former guest Don August getting the win in relief going five innings. Wow. Good for good for Don. Yeah, so there you have it. May 1st, 1991, a day that will not live in infamy. It'll just live on, especially in our minds, for for quite some time. Very nice, Jeff. All right, so that's going to do it for uh, the main segment of our show. Mark, that means it is time for Wax Packs Heroes. It is time for everybody's favorite cardboard and wax-based 1v1 co-host v co-host exhibition. It is time for Wax Hero. All right, before we get into it, let's review the rules. Mark and I will both be opening a pair of baseball cards, generally from the Junk Wax era. We will look at these cards and get credit for each player's baseball reference war from the year of the pack we are opening. However, whoever has the highest war total at the end is proclaimed the winner. But there are some qualifiers that can add or subtract from your score if the player is wearing real stirrups that we can see sanitary socks beneath. That's an extra tenth of a point of war because that's good. But if they are wearing the dreaded two-in-ones, that is minus half a point. Noah's Frio. If they have anything around their eyes, meaning sunglasses, glasses, glasses, a monocle, or even goggles, extra tenth of a point of war. If they're wearing sweatbands with their jersey number or caricature on them, Extra tenth of a point of war for each. If that player won an award that season, MVP, Cy Young, Rookie of the Year, Gold Glove, or was an all-star, extra tenth of a point of war for each. And if that player now has a plaque in the hallowed grounds of Cooperstown, New York, you get a whole point of war because that there is a Hall of Famer. And finally, Mark and I will each pick a team. If we get a player from that team, we get an extra half a point of war. But if we get a player from the other person's team, we minus half a point. Mark... With that, which team are you picking? Well, you know what? In honor of uh, today's story, I'm going to go with the Texas Rangers. I thought you were going to say that. I thought you were. And because of that, I'm going to go with none other than, than my Oakland Athletics. There you go. So there we go. All right. I got a couple of packs of cards here. Uh, I got some 1990 Donruss. Remember, we're doing a new thing where we are just taking 10 cards and there are 16 in each of these packs. So are you going to want me to remove the first or the last six? Let's take out the first six. First six. All right. And I'm going to let you choose whether you want the pack in my left hand or my right hand. I go right hand. Right hand. All right. I'm going to have you go first again. I went first for a while and I got a couple of wins, but I've since not done so well. So right now the scoreboard reads 11 to 6. You're more than halfway home. You're trying to go back to back to back. It's, uh, right. And you said the first six is what you want to lose? That's right. So tell me all the Hall of Famers I lost. All right. So you are going to lose Chuck Krim, uh, your boy Steve Finley, 
Uh, your other boy, Mike Heath, Jay Howell, Eric Plunk, and Felix Fermin. Okay, it could have been worse. Yeah, it could have been. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's uh, actually pretty good because I'm looking at this in your seventh card in your pack in 1990 is Mark McGuire. Oh, right in the wheelhouse. Yeah, so that could work out well for you here. So good news for you here. 1990, Mark McGuire was an all-star, and he also won the gold glove at first base. Led the league in walks with 110, 39 home runs, 108 RBI, and a 144 OPS plus. I think this is going to work out well for you, except for he is a member of the Oakland A's, which is my team. So we're going to minus half a point right off the bat. But he comes in with a war of 5.7. You get a whole extra war for the all-star and the gold gloves. So that's a 6.7. He is actually wearing real stirrups in this picture, which is a rarity for him. So that is 6.8 minus the half a point is a 6.3. I'll take that. Yeah, that's a good way to start out. Um, we've talked about him enough. I will just say his uh, pop culture reference uh, I've mentioned it many times before he was uh, in an episode of mad about you so there you go all right next you have got a pitcher for the Kansas City Royals it is Luis Aquino Luis Aquino I remember him I remember him with the Royals um I'm not sure how long he was around but I feel like it was a short while (laughs) we I don't think we've ever had Luis Aquino on wax packs heroes he was in the league for nine years most fit with Kansas City in 1990, he went four and one. Well, let's see. He started three games, uh, only appeared in 20. He started three, and one of those three was a complete game. Wow. Yeah, not bad. Uh, only 68 in the third inning, struck out 28, walked 27. So he's got some, <laughs> some walk to strikeout uh, issues there. And all of that equates to a 122 ERA plus, and that is a war of 1.7. And nothing else on this card is going to help you out. So that'll just be a 1.7. That'll bring you up to eight even after two cards. Uh, let's see. Luis Aquino was also on that inaugural Florida Marlins team in 1993. Oh, yeah. You, I remember. We should talk about that draft someday. Because I remember actually going to a restaurant or a bar or sports bar to watch the draft. The amateur. I'm sorry, not the amateur, but the uh, expansion draft. Me and my buddy sitting there wondering where everybody was. We were the only ones. It was weird. I can tell you, I don't think I would be going to a bar to watch the expansion draft. <laughs> we were pretty excited. <laughs> All right. So your next card is a Texas Ranger. So that's good yeah. for you. He's also been mentioned several times here in our episode already. He caught a line drive off of hard-hitting Mark Witten in right field. It's Ruben Sierra. Now, you're a Ruben Sierra fan, aren't you? I am. I really enjoyed him when he was in Oakland. Yeah, I, I enjoyed him at all. Even when he was on the Yankees, I liked him. I, I'm, a, I'm a Ruben guy. 20 years in the big leagues. That's a career right there. Yeah. Uh, most of it was spent in Texas. In fact, half of it was. 10 years in Texas. 1990, uh, not an all-star. It's sandwiched in between a bunch of all-star years. But in 1990, he hit 280, had 16 home runs, 96 RBI, a 111 OPS plus. He stole nine bases, was not caught a single time. And all of that equates to a war of only 1.6. I thought it was going to be more than that. I did, too. He does have real stirrups on, though, so that'll be a 1.7. Plus, your half a point for being on the Rangers is going to bring you up to a 2.2. Maybe his defense cost him a little bit. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't the greatest defensive outfielder, but I, I, you don't pay Ruben Sierra to play defense. That's right. All right, next. Oh, you get a rated rookie. There you go. Ooh. With the Orioles, Ben McDonald. 
Oh, Big Ben, straight out of Louisiana. I love it. Now, I want to ask, hopefully we'll have somebody, or if if not Ben himself, someday will be a guest on the show. I want to ask anybody if anybody's actually ever seen him wrestle an alligator. Right, that could be a rumor. Or if it's just like one of those baby alligators, you know, <laughs> that you could hold and, you know, keep their jaws closed with two fingers kind of thing. I, I, wanna, I want some more details on this. <laughs> 1990, though, his first full year in the big leagues, he pitched in 21 games, went eight and five with a 2.43 ERA. That is not bad at all. Oh. 157 ERA plus. Uh, not a lot of strikeouts, only 65 Ks in 118 and two thirds innings, but he did only walk 35. Hmm. So good control. Let's see. That equates to a war of 3.3. Uh, there's nothing else on this card. It's just a headshot. But uh, 3.3, not bad. Finished eighth in the Rookie of the Year balloting. Hey, you got votes. Okay, next. Wow, you get another Ranger. It's like you you knew. Oh, yes. Uh, this guy never took steroids, at least according to him. Uh, he was a great hitting first baseman, though. It's Rafael Palmero. Yeah, Palmero definitely got named in the old Mitchell report. But, uh, you know, just talking about his time, in baseball, he, he he hit a ton. He used to kill the Mariners. Yeah, I mean, he was a great. I enjoyed watching him. With the came up with the Cubs, then spent most of his career in in Texas, and then Baltimore. Spent seven years in Baltimore. Hmm. Did not realize it was that much time. But uh, yeah, according to him, never took the roids. But obviously, he did. <laughs> uh, let's see, 1990. Uh, he got some MVP votes, but that's it. Led the league with 191 hits, a 319 average. A 468 slugging and a 829 OPS and a 131 OPS plus 14 home runs, 89 RBI. How many stolen bases do you think Rafael Palmero had in his career? Oh, career? Yeah. Well, I'm going to go with like 30. 97. Really? Only caught oh, 40 times. Not bad. He not stole, good, but not bad. In 93, he stole 22 bases and really? was caught only three times. What in the world? I would not have figured that one out. Yeah, at the age of 40, his final year in 2005, he was a perfect two for two in stolen bases. <laughs> Good for him. The 100% ratio. Yeah, the steroids help you, you know, run a little faster too, I guess. Uh, let's see, 4.3 uh, war. You're going to get that half a point for him being on the Rangers as well. So that's a 4.8. I, I kind of feel like this game's already over. <laughs> you're at 18.3, <laughs> and I am infamous for just being awful at this game. <laughs> so apparently um, Rafi wanted to stay with the Rangers when his, uh, when his contract ended after the 93 season, but instead the Rangers signed Will Clark, which caused Palmero to call Will Clark a low life. Ouch. <laughs> what in the world? Like why? Because they signed somebody else here and call him a low life. <laughs> it, it was the roid rage. Probably Raphael was uh, suspended at one point during his career with the Orioles for failing a drug test. he uh, It was a 10-day suspension that ended on August 11th in 2005. Uh, his first day back was August 14th, and that day was a giveaway day. It would, had been planned to be the Rafael Palmero Appreciation Day, but they canceled it uh, after he was yeah. suspended. Yeah, well, what are you going to give away? Syringes? I don't know. Yeah, that's know. all I can think of. Okay, next, uh, oh, we'll have to put this card aside and send it to the, the Tim Wallach collector because it's Tim Wallach with the Expos. Yo, we've talked about Tim a number of times, uh, underrated third baseman, 
just a solid player all around. Defense, he could hit. Never hear anything negative about him. 17 years in the big leagues, 13 with Montreal. Very nice. Now, did he play for the Dodgers too? Yeah, he ended his career uh, with the Dodgers, a brief stint with the Angels as well for only 57 games. You know, I I wouldn't mind spending 13 years in Montreal. I love Montreal. That's a great city. Well, there you go. That makes one of us. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Well, good news for you. In 1990, he was an all-star. He also won the gold glove. He hit 296, very nice, uh, wow. 125 OPS plus, 21 home runs, and 98 RBI. Wow. And he had 40 less stolen bases over his career than Rafael Palmero. <laughs> Is that sort of the, what you're going to hold everybody That's the to new, now? Yeah, if, if you've stolen Palmero more line? bases than Rafael Palmero. <laughs> uh, let's see, all of this equates to a 4.1 war. You're going to get a whole extra point for the gold glove and the all-star. That'll be 5.1. And he's got real stirrups on, so that is 5.2. Very nice. And uh, by the way, the Montreal Chamber of Commerce can go ahead and send all of your email directly to Mark. I am a big fan. Hey, I'll come up. You all want to pay everything. I'll come up and give your city a very positive review. Tim Wallach was voted the Montreal Expos Player of the Year in 1987, 89, and 90. Bill James, however, not as much of a big, uh, big fan of Wallach, he called him a poor man's Brook, Ro- a poor man's Brooks Robinson. Hmm. That's just ridiculous. First of all, Brooks Robinson's a Hall of Famer. Tough comparison. Not cool. Bill James, kind of a grumpy old man. I think we've <laughs> talked about that before. All right. Next, you get a pitcher for the Oakland A's, so that's going to put you in a hole right away. But uh, this is a quality. Number four or number five starter for the A's at this point, though he would probably be a number two or three guy in most places. It's Mike Moore. Yeah, Mike Moore was a fantastic pitcher. And yeah, I remember looking at that uh, that pitching lineup and going, that's ridiculous. Because I believe like even the fifth, the fifth starter would win double digit games. I had a lot of fun with those pitching staffs. Uh, 1990, an okay year for Mike Moore. He went 13 and 15, a 4.65 ERA. Uh, the year before, he went 19 and 11, got Cy Young and MVP votes, went 19 and 11. Uh, all of this, though, in 1990 will equate to a war of minus 1.5. What? Now, get this. He's on the A's, so that's a minus 0.2 total, and he's got two and ones. Oh. So that's going to be a minus 2.1. That's the best Mike, thing that's, Mike, Mike. <laughs> that we've had happen during this in quite some time. All right, next you've got a pitcher for the Royals. It is Charlie Lebrand. Oh, Charlie Lebrand, I do remember. I'm trying to think of anything specific. I remember him mainly for being on those Atlanta teams, you know, when they were yeah. really good in the, in the 90s. He was there to like number five guy. <laughs> that's right. Okay, let's see. So Charlie Lebrand, 14 years in the big leagues. In 1990, he was with Atlanta, 9 and 11. So really was like their number five guy. But a 3.16 ERA uh, and a 128 ERA plus. Wow. To go 9 and 11, but still have those numbers. Not a lot of run support, apparently, from Atlanta at that point. Yes, not. Uh, Let's see. That will equate to a war of 3.2. He does have real stirrups on as well, so that'll be a plus 3.3. That'll take you up to 24.7, made up for those uh, Mike Moore numbers. Let's see, also a member of the 1985 World Series team with Kansas City. Probably Hmm. should mention that. Wow. So looking at his Wikipedia page mentions his postseason struggles. 
Postseason, he has appeared in 13 games and owns a 1-7 and seven mark. Yeah, that's rough. Yeah, 3.77 ERA, which is not bad. Again, I, he seems to not get a lot of run support. Tony Libra. Tough All luck, right. man. You got two cards left here. Your second to last is uh, a Mariner, but here he is with Cleveland. It is Pete O'Brien. Oh, yes. The first, the very first big, quote-unquote, big free agent signing the Mariners ever had. It didn't quite work out the way they hoped. Yeah, we're in a streak where we pull a Pete O'Brien every week now. Yeah, it's just a reminder. <laughs> well, 1990, he was, I mean, this was his first year with Seattle. Uh, let's see, he ended up hitting 224 with five home runs and 27 RBI in 108 games. Yeah, he wasn't exactly what they were expecting when they forked out their free agent money. That would be what is known as a bust right there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he was. Wow. In Seattle, he spent four years in Seattle. He hit 43 home runs over four years. So that's barely <laughs> over 10, 237 and an 87 OPS plus for his time in Seattle. Yikes. A war of 0.0 exactly. And That's, nothing on this card is going to help you out. So it's just going to be zero from that guy. Yeah. That'll take us to your last card, who is the shortstop for the Los Angeles Dodgers at this point. Uh, Bay Area, Oakland native Alfredo Griffin. Alfredo was always a, a go to guy. He was uh, he was straight up starting big league shortstop from, you know, the day he got there. Just a solid all around player. Yeah. Now, I, I said he's from the Bay Area. He is definitely not. Uh, oh. He was he is one of those guys from San Pedro de Macariz. I know he and Ricky were really good friends, though, and I'm not sure how that happened. I mean, Alfredo was on Oakland, but Ricky was in New York at that point. So I'm not sure how where their connection is, but I know that they are good friends. Alfredo was the rookie of the year in 1979. In 1990, he was with the Dodgers. Let's see, 141 games, still an everyday player, 210 average, though. Not a lot of great offensive numbers here. A 44 OPS plus. That is not good. For, especially for somebody that plays in 141 games. Ouch. Wow. Let's see. All of that equates to a war of minus 2.3. Ouch. It's, he does have real stirrups on, though. So you got that going for you. So that'll just be a minus 2.2. And that will bring your grand total to 22.5. Well, I think I think I got a shot here. Yeah, not bad. Not bad. Uh, and I'm, of course, awful at this game. So uh, let's go ahead and open mine. I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to follow your lead. I'm going to I'm going to lose the top six and we'll see what we come up with, which is good because there's a Diamond Kings on the bottom. So that'll work well. So I'm going to lose Terry Pendleton, Yvonne Calderon, Dick Schofield, Jeff Russell, uh oh, Wade Boggs. That sucks. Ooh. And Greg Vaughn. Oh, those oh, wow. two might hurt. Yeah, those two, I, I think the, the Boggs and the Vaughn might hurt me here. So let's get right into it here. Uh, first, I have got pitcher for the Expos, Tim Burke. Yeah, Tim Burke, starting pitcher. Yep. Expos for a few years. I mean, for a while, I think. I think we just talked about Tim Burke an episode or two ago. I don't remember I what think you're right. There was something about him that was... I, I don't think it was cool. Wax Packs Heroes either. Let's, uh, we'll dive into that in a minute. Let's see. Eight-year career, uh, 89 he was an all-star, but not so much in 1990. Went 3-3 three and three with a 2.59 ERA in 58 games out of the bullpen. 20 saves, I like where this is headed, a 145 ERA plus. All that equates to a war of 0.9. What else on this card is going to help me out? It's just a head and shoulder shot. So I think I accidentally called him a starter. 
Yeah. <laughs> he started two games career and finished 262. Not a starter. Well, I, I think I also said, yeah, when you said that. So <laughs> we both, come on, we're better than that. Yeah, that's just bad. I, I think we might have talked about him before. He appeared in the Jeff Moore and the Distance Music video, Home that's Run. Right. I have that CD. Yeah, which, because I'd never heard of these guys. I still haven't listened to the song, but yeah, you you know all about this. So I think that's where we uh, where we heard of that. That's right. All right, next. Oh, good. I got an Oakland Athletics, so I'm going to start off with uh, half a point right there. None other, not a lot of time in Oakland, but I enjoyed it. Lee was there. It's the Cobra, Dave Parker. I remember Dave being uh, just another big slugger on that team. Yeah, he fit right in with McGuire and Canseco and Dave Henderson. And yeah, just another big dude. Let's see, 19 years in the big leagues, uh, won two World Series titles, three gold gloves, two batting titles, three silver sluggers, an MVP, and a seven-time All-Star. 1990, he was not with the A's. He was uh, with Milwaukee, where he was an All-Star. So I got, there is a whole point before we look at anything else. Even though, you know, because he's an A in the card. Well, he was not on the A's. He's on, he's wearing the green and gold, so I'm going to give it to myself. Because I'm going to need it. Let's see, he hit 289, 21 home runs, 92 RBI, a 118 OPS plus, led the league in sacrifice flies with 14, and all of that will equate to a war of only 1.1. Oh, wow. Higher. I guess he's a, well, he was with, yeah, Milwaukee was still in the American League at that point, so he was DHing, so no defense to include, not that it would have been good, but that'll get me a 2.1. Interesting, 290 career hitter. Yeah, you think of him as power, but my gosh, that's a that's a great batting average. 339 career home runs. Man, he's solid all around, isn't he? I would have thought there'd be more home runs. That's only a little bit more than 40 more than Ricky hit. But you'll be happy to know he stole 154 bases. Oh, they're better than Rafael Palmero. That's uh, right. Of course, he was uh, one of the guys involved in the Pittsburgh drug trials, which a lot of people think might have precluded him from getting the Hall of Fame consideration that he might deserve. Mm -hmm. Uh, He has owned several Popeye's chicken franchises around Cincinnati, in case you're wondering. Mm. He sold his interest in them in uh, 2012, though. There's nothing, though, that we don't cover here. No, no, absolutely. We like to keep track of uh, player-owned franchises. Yeah, so he is uh, involved in, I know, uh, he is suffering from Parkinson's disease right now. uh, But he's uh, involved, the Dave Parker 39 Foundation is... uh, that's what they support is Parkinson's research. I know I've seen him recently. He, a lot of these guys are getting really old. <laughs> it's kind of, kind of yeah. sad. All right. Next, I've got a member of the Royals, a two-time member of Seinf- the Seinfeld cast, and <laughs> uh, a member of both the A's and I think the Mariners at one point. It's Danny Tartable. Yeah, I knew where you were going, and he was a Mariner. I believe he came up a Mariner. All right. Let's see. Uh, Danny Tartable. I guess he's got a son, Jose Tartable. Or no, he is the son of Jose Tartable. I did not know that. Jose Tartable played for nine years in the big leagues with uh, Kansas City, Boston, and then Oakland in the 60s and early 70s. I didn't know that either. Yeah, I had not heard of Jose Tartable. Uh, Danny played for 14 years, spent uh, one year in Oakland and three years. You were correct. He came up with Seattle in 1984. In 1990 with the Royals. Uh, he was injured for half the year, only appeared in 88 games, hit 268, 15 home runs, 60 RBI, a 128 OPS plus, and all of that equates to a 0.9 war. 
Uh, nothing else on this card is going to get me anything else. So that'll bring me up to 3.9. Not, not really moving too quickly here. It's all a matter of Hall of Famers, my friend. And we've talked about him. Lord knows we've talked about him enough. Seinfeld twice, married with children once. Yes. He's, uh, he was the go-to guy at that point for sitcoms. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next I have got somebody that I despised as a manager, but, man, he was a good catcher for his career with the Dodgers. It is Mike Sosha. Mike Nova Sosha. Oh, I've not heard that one before. I hate spelling his last name. That is that might be hard to remember beyond like Mark Zipchinski. That might be the hardest name to spell in all of baseball history. Skio, Skio Skia. Uh, one of his nicknames, Hefe. I like that. That's one of my nicknames uh, growing up was El Hefe, sure. the sure. boss. Uh, let's see, 1990 All Star. I like it. He was uh, 31 years old. Caught 135 games that year. Hit 264, 12 home runs, 66 RBI. Not a lot of power. Never had a lot of power. Let's see. He stole 29 bases in his career, so way below Rafael Palmero. 110 OPS plus. I'm going to guess his defense is going to help his war here, though. 2.7 war, and he's got real stirrups on, so that'll be a 2.8. Uh, I think he won manager of the year at least once or twice, didn't he, as well? You know, I'd be guessing. Well, I'll tell you here in one minute. Won two World Series with the Dodgers, once in 81 and then again in 88. And if we look at his managerial stats, which I'm really surprised he hasn't, you know, nobody's signed him since he last managed in 2018. Hmm. Uh, won one World Series with the Angels uh, and was twice the manager of the year. So Mike Sosha was, uh, of course, in the famous Simpsons episode of Homer at the Bat. Of course, he played catcher. Classic. Uh, says he gets a residual check every year for like four bucks. <laughs> for that. <laughs> uh, also, apparently was a two-time guest on The Simpsons. He appeared in an episode called Money Bart, which appeared in 2018. Don't recall that one. I had, don't, I, I'm assuming that's a play on Money Ball, so maybe we want to we see Might that. have to check that out, yeah. yeah. Also uh, is uh, been seen on commercials for Howard's Appliance and Big Screen Superstore. Of course. Yeah. Who hasn't? Who doesn't love those commercials? All right. So uh, next I go to the Yankees. This is a good guy. Uh, probably not 1990, but uh, Dave Ricchetti, Rags. Yeah, I always liked him, you know, and, and even being a Yankee, I liked him. Let's see. Rags spent 16 years in the big leagues, 11 with the Yankees. 1994, a brief stint with the A's. I vaguely remember that. <laughs> 16.71 ERA that year. But in 1990, his final year with the Yankees, he went 1-1, one and one, 53 appearances, a 3.57 ERA, 112 ERA plus. That's not too bad. All that equates to a war of 0.3 and nothing else. See, I'm just, I don't get any big numbers. And Wade Boggs yeah. might have helped me. Greg Vaughn, oh, that's his rookie card, so he might not have helped me a whole lot. And I don't think this is going to help me either. Uh, catcher for the Red Sox, Rick Cerrone. Oh, yeah. She's Cerrone. Was he, uh, did he start for them? I, I think, I think of him as a backup. I don't, I don't even remember him on the Red Sox. I mainly remember him with the Yankees. 18 years in the big seven with New York, two with Boston. Let's see, in 79 and 80, he appeared in 100 games each year. Other than that, yeah, he was pretty much a backup. In 1990, at age 36, he appeared in 49 games. He hit 302. No power to speak of, though. And only six career stolen bases. 22 caught stealing. <laughs> wow. 
And uh, all that equates to a war of 0.9. So obviously still a good defensive catcher at this point. Yeah, he was always able to catch on somewhere. He played for Cleveland, Toronto, the Yankees, uh, Atlanta, Milwaukee, Boston, and the Mets and Expos. You know, got around. Yeah, you'd be a left-handed pitcher or a quality backup catcher, and you can stick That's around. Right. There you go. Wow. So you know, we talked about Steinbrenner uh, and uh, George Steinbrenner and, and Dave Winfield a couple of weeks ago. Get this. After a tough loss in Game 3 of the ALDS against the Brewers, Cerrone swore at Steinbrenner because Steinbrenner was complaining about the team. And, and Steinbrenner said back to him, you're gone next year. Nobody talks to me that way. Cerrone <laughs> left the room, came back in and shouted in front of the reporters. What do you know about it? You never played this game. Steinbrenner glared back at him and he was uh, back with the Yankees the next year regardless. <laughs> Steinbrenner was quick to anger, but uh, when, it come, when it came to winning games, he let all that uh, fall by his side. How about this? 1981, Rick Cerrone recorded a single called A Long Run Home. Uh, it was written by, of course, Carl Henry and Bill Hudak. Sure. Who doesn't Those know guys. Uh, apparently, this was done to raise money for victims of an Italian earthquake. Huh. The single failed to chart in the U.S. That's shocking. Really? Huh. All right. I'm at 7.9. I've got a couple of cards left here. Next, well, we should give him the Hall of Fame bonus. It's second baseman for the Tigers, Lou Whitaker. You know, he's in our Hall of Fame for sure. Well, he's in our Hall of Fame because we pull his card every week, too. That, too. <laughs> Uh, of course, entire career with the Tigers. 1990, he appeared in 132 games, hit 237, 18 home runs, 60 RBI, 143 career stolen bases. So, you know, he's topped oh. top Palmero, 107 OPS plus, And all of that equates to a war of 3.8 because he's good defensively and he's got real stirrups. So that'll give me a 3.9. Uh, so our friend, Daniel Horine, who does the pop fly... Uh, art he had uh, his uh, his piece last week was alan trammell and yes. uh, he did one of the youtube chats with him uh, i we, we always forward those when we see those uh, on, on our twitter account uh, i jumped in because i when i am available I, I always like to to listen to those and obviously alan uh, trammell had a lot of great things to say about lou whitaker i got my question a little too late uh, because i wanted to know uh if you had any stories from when he and Lou Whitaker guest starred on Magnum PI. <laughs> That's awesome. We'll have to, we'll have to just uh, wait till the next time. Next, we go to a first baseman for the Milwaukee Brewers. I really liked this guy, especially when he was with the Dodgers, Greg Brock. Oh uh, yeah. For, man, I haven't thought about Greg Brock in forever. Probably not player. until, not since the last time we pulled him, but we, he's not an every weaker. No, he's not. <laughs> Let's see. 10 years in the big league, split it right down the middle between the Dodgers and the Brewers. 1990, he hit 248, seven home runs, 50 RBI. I don't like where this is headed. Uh, all of that equates to a war of 0.4. does have real stirrups on, so that's just going to get me half a point. Not, not much going on there for Greg Brock. I remember him, though, from the Dodgers because I could get in Salt Lake City, I could get the Dodgers broadcast, and I could listen to uh, Vin Scully. And the way that he said Greg Brock... I, I think that's what made me like Greg Brock so much. <laughs> but Vin Scully saying anything will probably make you like it. He's Vin Scully. All right. I got two cards left here. I got a lot of work to do. You ended up with 22 and a half. I'm at 12.3. Next, we have got outfielder for the Orioles, Joe Orsalak. I don't think this is going to get you to the tie, but. Uh, How dare I'm... you? 
<laughs> I think you're probably right. Joe Orslak, 14 years in the big leagues, though. That's a pretty good career. And he was a starter through his entire career. 94, he only appeared 96 games. But 85 through 97, except for that one year, always over 100 games. Hmm. 1990, uh, let's see here. He hit uh, 11 home runs, 57 RBI. 269 average, a 110 OPS plus. How many career stolen bases do you think Joe Orsalak has? Uh, 50? 93. Oh. These guys were running in the in the 80s. In Those 85 and 86, both years, he stole 24 and were caught 11 both both years. Wow. But you, Joe Orsalak, you, I'm not thinking of him as anybody unless there's just a lot of like unsuccessful hit and runs. I don't know where this is coming from. <laughs> uh, let's see, 2.4 war for Joe Orsalak. So, yeah, not not a whole lot. Actually, that might have been one of my best cards, though. <laughs> this, <laughs> yeah, Orsalak leading your team. All right, my final card is a Diamond King card. It's a guy that we both have mentioned many times that we like. Here with the Boston Red Sox, Ellis Burks. Um, we have stated before, both of us Ellis Burks fans, all around great ball player. Yeah, Burks in, let's see, 1990, it was his first and uh, oh, first of two all-star appearances, so that's good. Also won a gold glove that year, so there's a whole point. Appeared in 152 games, 21 home runs, 89 RBI, 296 average, a 128 OPS+. plus. Now, I know Ellis Burks could run. 181 career stolen bases, that's not bad. His career high was 32 in 96 with Colorado. Let's see, 1990, this equates to a war of 3.3. I'll get the uh, full point for the All-Star and the Gold Glove. And I'm going to say these are real stirrups in this painting. <laughs> so that'll be a 4.4. <laughs> and that will take my total up to 19.1. Still a little bit over three points shy of your total and gives you your 12th victory of the year. Well, we'd uh, we'd like to thank our starting pitching and uh, the bullpen. Hey, you should probably be thanking me because I am awful at this game. Well, it is all skill. Yeah. I mean, you're just not putting your time in. I guess I need to I need to come out early and have some extra BP. Yeah, just open some packs for practice. <laughs> All right, so that's going to wrap up another edition of Wax Packs Heroes. Let's also start to wrap up the show. We want to thank everybody, as always, for listening. And thank everybody for letting us have a week off. That was, uh, it was hard to, to get back and get back in the swing of things. But, wow, I had a lot of fun doing this show. I mean, we talked about Ricky and Nolan Ryan, so mm -hmm. probably going to be a lot of fun. Uh, but, uh, yeah, let's uh, let remind you that if you cannot get enough of us, as many can't, uh, you can find us on all the social medias. We are at Two Strike Noise, at TWO Strike Noise on Twitter and Instagram. You can find us on Twitch and YouTube as well. If you want to look in the show notes, you can find the, uh, the links there. As I said, we've got some new stuff up there since the last time that we were around. Uh, we're going to really try to do one of these live rewatches at least once a month uh, because we've really been enjoying them. Mark, they also can get a hold of us via email. You want to tell them how to do that? Sure. If you'd like to write us, and I, I, you can write us in any language. I have a good translator. Uh, you can write us at two strike noise, spell it out, T W O, strike noise at gmail.com. My Sanskrit's a little bit weak. So maybe, Ooh, maybe yeah. avoid Sanskrit. But yeah, anything I, else. I, I speak uh, the language of Mordor very well, so it's kind of weird. <laughs> and Klingon, I'm guessing, as well. 
So hot hot knees is that is that what it is hot knees uh, hot knees yes yeah still I'm a little bit I'm just learning it still I'm I'm on like month three of my Duolingo for uh, for hot knees uh, but uh, everybody thank you so much for listening uh, we're kicking off the new year right this was a fun episode but uh, we will see you again next week on our next episode of Two Strike Noise thank you God bless you have a great day travel